Please join me in the prayer for illumination. Let us pray. Holy God, reveal your presence to us this day as we journey this path with your Son. Through all of life's trials and tribulations, your word sustains us for the journey ahead. Send your Spirit upon us that we might listen, discern, and take heart. Amen. Our scripture today comes from Psalm 137. Hear these words. Along Babylon's streams, there we sat down, crying because we remembered Zion. We hung up our lyres in the trees there because that's where our captors asked us to sing. Our tormentors requested songs of joy. Sing us a song about Zion, they said. But how could we possibly sing the Lord's song on foreign soil? Jerusalem, if I forget you, let my strong hand wither. Let my tongue stick to the roof of my mouth if I don't remember you, if I don't make Jerusalem my greatest joy. Lord, remember what the Edomites did on Jerusalem's dark day. Rip it down, rip it down, all the way to its foundations, they yelled. Daughter Babylon, you destroyer, a blessing on the one who pays you back the very deed you did to us. A blessing on the one who seizes your children and smashes them against the rock. The word of God for the people of God. So, um, you know, when we were planning this, I um, thought to myself, surely I won't draw the short straw. (laughs) But before we say uh, any more about that, um, Charlie Jordan, uh, I'm so glad you're here. Um, But if you would just wave, um, folk around here know Charlie, um, uh, Jenny Jordan's son, uh, grew up in Lake Jackson, uh, ordained United Methodist pastor, serving over in Beaumont these days. Um, We're thankful that you have your family here with us, uh, worshiping with us today. Um, Thanks for being here. All right, so first of all, I just want to apologize, right? Seems like even though it's in the Bible, it seems wrong to have um, put the words in your mouth and then put the words in Tom Ramsey's mouth, um, this kind of angry piece at the end of Psalm 137. So having apologized, I promise that there's something good that can come out of this. I want to talk a little bit about road rage really quickly. Particular kind of road rage, the premeditated road rage. Your ears should have perked up, premeditated road rage? What is he talking about? I mean, my experience of watching other people have road rage is that there's nothing premeditated about it. If you can imagine, as you're headed in on 288, 610, uh, Sam Houston Tollway, you name it, your favorite road, sometimes just Oyster Creek and 332, you know the place where they bark out and you're not supposed to block it? Well, I live back there now, and you people don't, you, you, I can't get home. But no, there's no road rage for me. But anyways, when I watch people in the midst of road rage, right? Somebody cuts you off. Why is it always somebody who drives a Beamer? Um, Cuts you off as you're, do you drive? Just realize my audience may drive Beamers. Um, So somebody cuts you off and you're angry. Do you go, ha, I'm gonna get them. 
I'm going to show up at the same intersection at the same time tomorrow, and I'm going to do it back to them, right? Premeditated road rage. Hopefully you're thinking to yourself, no! You slam on the gas, you ride his bumper, and you hope he doesn't brake check you, right? <laughs> There's nothing thoughtful about road rage. In fact, if we were to pull out this idea of rage on its own, we would describe it as a feeling, right? Actually, Carl Jung, um, psychologist, uh, theorist about personality, um, he says that rage is a complex. It's a term he uses, a complex. He says a complex is um, a feeling that you, not a feeling that you have, but a feeling that has you. That rage, right? We don't premeditate our rage. It has us. And really the thing for us to do as faithful people is to get it to not have us. There's a difference between um, anger and rage. Now, um, I want to say, uh, for those of you who are worried that I'm talking about anger, um, remember, Jesus gets angry, right? You know, my second apology is putting in between two beautiful songs that the collective did, a reading about Jesus cleansing the temple. Um, uh, you know, a previous associate pastor who will remain anonymous, whose uh, initials are KW, would say, Peter, that's not good flow for worship. And I would say she was right. But Jesus gets angry. We have places where God's righteous anger brings about justice for the poor, for the widow, for those who've been lost and forgotten. Sometimes in our um, pursuit of being holy and taking our next steps and trying to journey to the heart of God, we think that it's impossible for us to ever be appropriately angry. But I would say that if God gave us the emotion, that if the Psalms talk about the emotion, that maybe there is something redemptive in the feeling if we spent time with it. Now, the context of our scripture today, uh, the one where they bash kiddos' heads against the rock, um, the context of that comes out of the Babylonian exile. And so here you have a psalmist um, sitting down, writing out a song, a, a poem, a prayer to God. And the scene is a, a bunch of Jerusalemites. I looked up the term, people from Jerusalem, Jerusalemites, kind of like Houstonians, right? Okay, Jerusalemites sitting on a foreign land in the midst of a foreign city next to a foreign river. And they're being taunted, taunted by their captors. I mean, if you wanted to use the phrase prisoner of war, that would work. They're being taunted. S sing one of those songs, those, those songs of ascent. You remember that first week we talked about songs of ascent. Those were the steps as you went up, the uh, steps to the temple. Sing us one of those. You know, that one about how you're so triumphant and your God is so wonderful. Sing us one of those. And the people there gathered by the river, they just hang up their harps, their guitars, their mandolins, and they refuse. How could we ever sing the songs of us faithfully going to worship when here we are exiled to a foreign land. 
And in the midst of the poem, as the kind of anger kind of burns and uh, bubbles over, the psalmist begins to make a series of remembrances. The psalmist calls to his memory Jerusalem and invokes a curse on on his own self. He never forgets what Jerusalem looked like. You have to remember that in the battle between Babylon and um, Israel, the, the town has been raised. Rip it down, was what uh, the psalmist puts into Psalm 137. The walls were destroyed. That everything they knew destroyed. That they were the survivors of a horrible act of violence. So as he remembers, he remembers also about, um, he also remembers about the long journey to Babylon. He remembers the violence of the attack. And in the midst of prayer, he says, Oh Lord, please, please let them know the pain that they have inflicted on us by inflicting it on them. It's a solemn moment. It's a hard moment. Now I want to say a little bit more that this just isn't just meanness and revenge. That, um, you know, let's put into context that, um, that the city that you live in, um, back in the ancient times, the city that you live in was important. It was the place where you were nurtured. It's the place where you were born. It's the place where you grow up. That you would go out and about outside the city walls to do whatever needed to be done, to farm your land, to um, uh, do trade, uh, whatever your job was. But at night, you came back to the city behind the walls. And in those days, religion was kind of centered on cities. And that, that gods, uh, you know, these kind of uh, idol gods from the ancients would pledge to protect the city. And so in the midst of that, um, Yahweh, the, the God of the Old Testament, the, the, um, uh, the, the God who makes covenant with the Israelites, says, here's the city, Jerusalem. And I promise to protect you. I promise that this will be the place where people will come to learn about me. But see, the Israelites, um, they were not faithful. And and much uh, maybe um, like having a teenager, um, you know, God has done the timeout. God has done the restrictions. God has done everything possible and said, look, look, I'd rather you experience these consequences in a different way. But here, If you don't turn back and and acknowledge me and love me in the midst of our covenant, I may give you over to exile. So so what's interesting here is it's not like um, Yahweh and Marduk, um, uh, one of the idols of Babylon, uh, had a contest and, and God in God's weakness lost. No, really what it was is the response to a prophetic call that God gave them over because they just, you know, they weren't listening anymore. And in uh, Lamentations, it said, the Lord has done what he purposed, has carried out his threat that he ordained long ago. It's, so, so the phrase about bashing other people's children is not about, you know, it's not like a, a really good college uh, football yell. No, this is about a mournful moment 
of realizing, wow, we, have far, we are far from home, both spiritually and emotionally. So I want to talk a little bit here. So what's the value of anger? Now, if you've ever come for pastoral care to talk to me, nine times out of ten, I will tell you, uh, what feeling are you having? I'll ask you. And I usually, um, men usually only have three feelings, um, frustrated, um, hungry, and bored. No, those aren't feelings, but okay, you're not going to laugh because we're talking about anger in children's heads. But if you hold up your, your, your hand like this, there are five core emotions, mad, sad, glad, hurt, and afraid. And see, God gives us feelings not to just cause drama and to make us feel out of control, but God gives us feelings so that we can know something about ourselves and those around us. So when we, were, when we are mad, it's usually because the world has done us wrong. There's been a boundary crossing. There's been a betrayal. Somehow the way we saw the world and the boundaries and the expectations and the rules, someone just went and went like that. And so we're mad. That's healthy mad, not rage. Mad, sad. Sad tells us that we've really lost something. As you sit in the pews during a funeral, that feeling and those tears in that moment, that tells you something, that the person that you're celebrating in that moment meant something to you. Sadness tells you you've lost something. Mad, sad, glad. Okay, if I have to explain to you what glad is, we're having a problem, right? Mad, sad, glad, hurt. You see, when we feel hurt, it means we've been wounded. And what's really uh, challenging is that the wounds that we can see are far easier than the wounds that we can't see. And so both emotionally and spiritually, we can be wounded by the world around us. Mad, sad, glad, hurt, and afraid. Afraid is that, that um, for those of you of a certain generation, danger, Will Robinson, danger, right? It's that alert. It's that alarm. It tells you that, you know, scanning the horizon, there is something out there that is threatening. Now, what's fascinating about the afraid is that sometimes it's a real threat and sometimes it's not a real threat. Anyone ever um, uh, been close to, had friends or family that experienced PTSD? It's kind of a, a jacking up of that alert when there's no danger around. Feelings are functional. Feelings tell us something about ourselves. Feelings allow us to begin to process the world around us. And here's where we get where Jesus got angry. So Jesus got angry, he walked into the temple, and he realized that the temple was no longer a place for holy things, but rather a place for market, uh, um, market and profit and loss. That in the midst of um, the uh, pilgrimages, especially Passover, um, is, uh, Jewish people would come from all over the world. Uh, Josephus said that uh, more than half a million people would show up um, from uh, foreign territories there uh, to do the um, appropriate sacrifices at the Passover. And if you travel a long way, you can't necessarily bring your goat or your lamb or your dove. And uh, if you do, it's probably not real pretty by the time you get to Jerusalem. And so, hey, we got you taken care of. We have this wonderful caged dove for three times the price. Feel free to grab. If you want an idea of how much the markup is, think about when you go to the movie theater. The popcorn, we're talking about the markup, right? And what Jesus realizes is that it's no longer 
about having a sacrifice that connects you with the animal and connects you with God and allows you to be forgiven of your sins. But now it's just a machine of tourism trying to bleed the uh, pilgrims for as much money as possible. Notice the scripture doesn't say that Jesus whipped any one person or one thing. A, a whip in those days was used to move the cattle out. So there was no um, Indiana Jones uh, you know, attempts with uh, the whip. And what he says, and it's interesting, if you go uh, look on the internet and you ask um, you know, kind of all the translations of that particular story, oh my gosh, the Bible translators never want to put the word anger in that story. They say, his righteous zeal, right? What is righteous zeal? Well, it's, I, I, I cannot believe you did that. And I cannot believe you did that in God's house. There's been a boundary that's been crossed. The rules of the world have been changed, and I'm hurt. Do you hear the anger? So why preach, study, or spend time with a poem that talks about violence towards children? I want to remind you um, that the imprecatory Psalms, especially Psalm 137, it's a prayer. Notice it's not a law, it's not a wisdom, it's a prayer. It doesn't say, all good people who love God will bash you. No! It says, it, it, you know, and Josh does such a good job in the video. Uh, you know, do you remember those times where you um, held uh, a child, your own, uh, or your grandchild, and they are so angry at the world, and they have their tiny little three-year-old fists, and they, they're just pounding against your chest and it doesn't hurt you at all. But your love can hold them in that moment. The imprecatory Psalm, Psalm 137, it's a prayer. It's also a prayer that resonates with those who long for justice. You know, you just really want God to act, not in a way that's vengeful or revenge, but in a way that will make the world right, that'll reestablish the boundaries, that'll take care of betrayals. And also, Psalm 137 keeps us humble. It reminds us that raw feelings exist both in us and in Scripture. And then lastly, it's a psalm of forgiveness. It's an opportunity for us to say out loud our pain and our suffering and to say, it's not right. And what, is, what an amazing thing for those whom we have been angry about to see their hearts transformed, to see ours transformed. And instead of violence towards anyone, we find redemption and forgiveness as we see each other's lives in different light. They're hard words. It's hard to think about anger. I wanna encourage you to look in the bulletin. There's an extension of the sermon that asks some questions. Uh, Paul says, be angry, but do not sin. He goes on to say, don't let your anger um, last, uh, um, oh, uh, anger and sunset. Don't let your anger last beyond the sunset. What is it like to own our emotions, to own the scriptures, to not be afraid of the opportunity to look at God and say, why? And then to allow God to lead us on our next step of finding not 
violence as an answer, but rather God's love, God's care, and God bringing us home again. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen.